0: This is Market Currents from Northern Trust, where we explore facts, patterns, and expert opinions to answer today's most difficult market questions.
1: This is Katie Nixon. I'm the Chief Investment Officer for Wealth Management at Northern Trust. Well, everyone today is hyper-focused on interest rates and what the next move may be for the Federal Reserve. And there's obviously a logic to this obsession. Interest rates set the discount rate for financial assets, and rate policy can either be the economic gas pedal or the brake. And we're at a particularly challenging time right now when it comes to forecasting the future for rate policy. We're in the middle of an economic reopening. We're seeing demand surges and supply constraints lead to price increases. But knowing that both are temporary, note I did not say transitory, what is a Fed to do? Some say the Fed has to take action, start to reduce their balance sheet, and begin to raise rates in order to head off a potential problem in the future that would force them to slam on those brakes. Others say, wait it out, this too shall pass. Some on that side of the argument even wonder whether the Fed will be able to raise rates in 2023 as forecast by the Fed itself. So where do we stand? Let's wade into this worthy debate with Northern Trust's own Colin Robertson. Colin is the head of our global fixed income effort for Northern Trust Asset Management. He's responsible for the team that manages all of our bond strategies. He's widely known in the industry and a frequent contributor to the financial media. He's also the driver behind what has become a fixture for us over the post-global financial crisis time period, our interest rate outlook, which has been fairly consistently low for longer for even longer. And it's been right. Colin, this view has been steady, that rates would be low for even longer than many investors thought. And we've seen lower lows and lower highs over the last 20 years. Colin, I want to welcome you to Market Currents, and maybe this is a really good place to start. Maybe you could help us out by setting the stage for us and why we have seen this lower highs and lower lows with respect to rates since the global financial crisis.
0: Sure, Katie. Well, post the financial crisis, We were already in a position going into the financial crisis where rates were headed lower for a lot of structural reasons. We went through the crisis, obviously, rates were were brought down to zero. And there was always this view that we were just six months away from rates moving higher. We were six months away from rates moving higher. It just kept getting moved out, moved out. Our call early on was that, as you mentioned, we were just going to go through a process and a period that was much longer than investors thought. And I think even where, where, where we are today, you're seeing some of the same mistakes made by investors who just seem to think that we'll come to conclusions of higher interest rates sooner as opposed to later. So setting the stage for why rates stayed so low, clearly it ties into what the Fed is, is even talking about right now, and that's such that uh, inflation is hard to determine if it's going to go up or not. And when I say go up or not, uh, again, in their words, this would be consistently higher. And our, our view is uh, is that rates are going to stay lower. Um, that's certainly my view and setting the stage for why the rates have been lower the whole way through. Um, it's an inflation story, but it's also combined with economic growth and employment, for example. But uh, uh, for me, inflation is the, the key pillar that has left us where we are
1: interest rates slash inflation has been the area of focus for investors because it's really important for us to get both of those very related uh, issues right. And you note that we had a really slow and slow period post the global financial crisis. So we had very slow growth, slower than any past recovery, and we had very low inflation. The Fed really struggled to to try to get to its 2% goal. But as we sort of exited the crisis period, Colin, and went through a long but sort of normal economic cycle. We came to the 2019, and the 10-year just sat at around 150, and then the pandemic hit, and then we had aggressive Fed policy that drove that rate down to about 50 basis points, and now we see ourselves with rates having crept up um, very materially earlier this year um, as investors started to forecast recovery. But since that time, we've seen the 10-year Treasury yield slide and sliding even, even today, just at the same time that the Fed or some members at the FOMC have pushed forward their timeframe for when it is trying to raise rates or, or even attempting to get more towards what they would consider to be a normal rate environment. What, what do you make of what's going on right now uh, relative to Fed speak, interest rate and inflation expectations, and why we're seeing the 10-year yield fall so much?
0: Well, Katie, the Fed speak is very interesting, and I'm glad you brought it up, because there has been a lot of that in the markets, and it has moved the markets on any given day or period. I think what should be notable, and certainly what I pay the most attention to, is really the chair. Uh, what 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 Powell says is the most critical, and, and the others, quite frankly, are noise. Uh, I don't want to discount them too much. Uh, I'm sure they're very talented at what they do, but... Jerome Powell is the the key cog here. And as long as he is positioned more that we are going to stay lower for longer, which really I believe he is, that's all the indications that he's given. And he's even shared with with us as investors on numerous occasions to pay less attention to the dot plot than investors are doing and that uh, certainly the financial media is doing. So I I listen to that from Powell and, and I believe him. So With respect to the Fed, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's noise in there. But um, the fact that a number of the voters have moved faster on when they think they'll raise rates, I actually don't put a lot of stock in it personally. I think that the most important voter hasn't changed his view. And as long as he doesn't change his view, um, what was Previously in the market of 2023 at the earliest, I would go with. But of course, uh, as you mentioned, and where we stand, we think it's going to be later than 2023, to be quite frank about it. With respect to where yields have been, I think you've really hit the nail on the head with respect to 10-year treasuries at 150 pre-COVID. Because in showing all my humility of, of knowing that myself and other investors have never come out of a pandemic before, so we can only measure this how we think we should measure it, and give it our, our you know, our best views and best ideas. I'm very hard pressed to see the world when it gets back to whatever a normal is being that much different than prior to the pandemic. That doesn't mean we don't have different ways people work and, and obviously things will have changed, but with respect to what growth looked like, what inflation looked like overall, because we'll see pockets where it's anecdotally higher, but I think you'll see pockets where it's anecdotally lower. So in my view, we're in the same position that we were in prior to the pandemic. So as you know, we've kept our uh, 10-year treasury range in between 175 and 125. And as you mentioned, we hit 135 today. So we're still within the range. But for it to hover with a 150 uh, mark as sort of a middle ground, I think is completely reasonable. And I think that that's what more investors are, are finally coming to.
1: So Colin, as you look at the conditions we've seen inflation expectations come down dramatically, come off the boil. As you noted, we see the 10-year Treasury, I think, breaching levels that are surprising a lot of the bond bears. Um, Is this the market believing the Fed, or is this the market worried about the next normal resembling so closely that old normal of very, very slow growth and inflation that struggles to, to get towards the Fed target?
0: I believe it's the latter, is that certainly it's investors thinking that uh, inflation in a long-term sense is going to be closer to our view and very difficult to move up past that 2% level that the Fed would like. So that's piece number one. Piece number two, with respect to growth, again, we'll see fits and starts in different areas and parts of the economy that can look good and others that won't look as good. But ultimately, I believe that struggle will continue too. So the, the real key to me when you think about this and, and, you know, across the yield curve is that the short end of the yield curve is probably a little bit higher than it should be. And when I say short end, I'm more at two years, not at the overnight rate, which is, of course, close to close to zero. So it doesn't surprise me that ten years are at one thirty-five and could who who knows move back towards one, but it does surprise me a little bit that the two-year treasuries are at twenty-five basis points because that is indicating that there's a faster liftoff for the Fed to raise rates, of which in different parts of the market that's being taken off the table.
1: Well, I'm glad you mentioned the yield curve. And you know, looking back to prior to COVID, if we can remember the period prior to COVID, you know, we had a very flat yield curve coming into 2020 and got a, a nice steepening um, earlier this year and, and even into the springtime, and now it's started to flatten out again. So two questions, I guess. What, at what point do you start getting nervous about the yield curve, number one? And number two, is it your premise that the two-year will come down more than the 10-year will come down from here as people take their rate expectations off the table?
0: Yes. Really good question, Katie. And that would be my expectation is that when you think about even the middle of the curve, five years, although that's come in a lot in and of itself, that I'd exp- I'll throw this out there for us. I'd expect the five-year and the two-year, both of them to be more likely to rally to lower rates, much more so than the tens. I think the, r- the risk to me is if tens start to move closer to 1%, then we do get that flattening uh, that, that you talked about, because I, I don't believe two-year treasuries will trade below zero. So you get to that point where the 10-year actually starts to rally in basis point numbers, better than the two years, and even better than the five years because there's just more room for it to move down and more room for the curve to get flatter and flatter.
1: So when you look at what's built into the forward curve now, there are rate hikes built in to the forward curve. What's, what are investors pricing in right now relative to Fed funds and relative to forward rates?
0: Relative to forward rates, we're we're where we were in general closer to the start of the year. So those have come in quite a bit, which is more of an indication that there is a feeling of longer versus shorter, which is good in my opinion. With respect to the short-term part of the market where investors are playing, it's more of a mixed bag. And I think it goes back to what you talked about earlier with um, the Federal Reserve and what we mentioned about the dot plots. And that there's just some of this uncertainty, especially with respect to the last meeting, where a number of the voters actually took their longer term view on where rates would be higher and, you know, moved up the dates a little bit with, the, with respect to the years into 2022 versus 2023. But I think that what you'll see is uh, investors have really shifted, to your point, since March and have, have come, come a long way from March to July with respect to the expectations of when rates are going to go higher and if they should go higher. uh, I think we really need to point out and certainly discuss the fact that when we were in March and we had quite a sell-off and it was significant and uh, certainly some pain for investors, the vast majority of economists and the vast majority of investors in the market, uh, I know you remember this, we're calling for two, two, two and a quarter, two and a half percent uh, likelihood of treasuries by the end of the year, 10-year treasuries. And that's one thing that's shifted since March is that absolutely is off the table. But you've just seen a slow grind, sort of a, let's say, an avoidance of wanting to come to the conclusion that those investors may have been wrong and that rates are going to be lower versus higher because they just seem to be chasing their tail. So they're, they, they continue to bring the rate expectations lower. And they're about 50 basis points behind the curve all the time. And they get another, then they get 75 basis points behind the curve and they bring it in another 25 themselves. So they're they're chasing it and they've been wrong. And I think that's as much as what's going on with respect to investors' expectations of the markets and treasury rates as anything.
1: Well, I love the reminder that not all the dots are created equal. There is one supersized dot that we should be uh, focusing on. It sounds to me like you think Powell's doing the right thing. His patience is is necessary and required in a next normal that may be low growth and low inflation. So this this view, though, this view of the next normal not being you know a significant significantly more momentum on the growth and inflation front coming out of COVID is contrarian. You and Powell are on the same page in, in thinking that uh, that there's a downside risk here. What indicators are you looking at to inform your view, and what do you think Powell's is looking at most closely?
0: So, what I think uh, Powell is looking at most closely is something that even ties into some of the comments Janet Yellen has has made uh, with her in the Treasury, and that's that the Fed and other participants who could be involved with the Fed absolutely believe that they can control, fight, battle inflation, but they're very scared of deflation. So I think one of the things that Powell thinks about is, hey, I believe this is what he would say. I believe inflation is transitory, that word that we do and don't want to use. I believe we need to see the whites of the eyes of inflation much higher than our targeted 2%. And until he sees that, I think he's incredibly leery to go down the path of raising rates for fear of being of raising rates too early, which has basically been the Fed mistakes, right, of the last number of years, even some would argue certainly later in the last decade when the Fed raised rates and, and they ended up having to turn relatively quickly to, to the downside again. So um, it's funny, that's not exactly – you know, a specific economic statistic. It's more of an attitude. But I really believe that, that that's a very sincere way that, that they're thinking about things at the Fed. And until they're proven wrong, they're not going to change that view. So part of it for me, why I, why I feel firm in my convictions here is I don't believe they're going to be proven wrong anytime soon. And if they're not proven wrong, they're, they're much more likely to just sit on their hands than do anything else.
1: So, Colin, they 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 probably won't get proven wrong on the on the inflation front. In fact, they they'll likely be proven right. Um, they have another sort of nuanced mandate now, more nuanced mandate around employment. Um, so again, I think it 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 goes to your point of patience that they will be overly patient here. What do you think the Fed? Is going to focus on relative to financial conditions, and we've had a lot of discussions about the housing market and prices going, um, you know, parabolically high. Uh, certainly, we see some signs of speculative excess in certain areas of the risk asset markets. Um, you know, holding rates low for a extended period of time does create conditions that could um, could have a market impact. Do you think that that's something that might change their mind?
0: I think that could change their mind. And the the funny thing here is that that would likely happen, in my opinion, to your point, if you start to see some stresses in the credit markets, for example, uh, maybe even the mortgage market, but much, let's say much more so the credit markets. The mortgage manipulated due to the Fed purchases, but, and I, I absolutely, like everyone who's on this call, uh, have seen the elevation in home prices, but by my, you know, putting my economist hat on and doing some of the studying, a lot of those inflated price, prices are totally related to cash buyers, and I think that that's a different dynamic that sometimes people um, just aren't really thinking about, and, and that needs to be to play in there. But Katie, and a really important point to me here is that with respect to the credit markets and what the Fed did in March in um, rescuing the credit markets with their guarantee, they've now decided to pull back out and there's been no market repercussions whatsoever. So I think this is one of the most important things that's happened over the last year with respect to the Fed and the markets, is that the Fed came in, interjected themselves, rescued the credit markets, and now they're gonna be able to get out without causing disruption. The fact that they were able to do that, I firmly believe that they believe if they're ever in that position again, they'll go to the exact same game plan. So, that would be my ex- expectation as an investor. If we get some of those stress- stresses in the markets that you, that you mentioned, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not talking about the merits of doing it or not, uh, the Fed will go back to that, that model and they'll go back to that game plan. And I don't think that them uh, tapering their bond purchases is going to be as disruptive as, as some investors think. So, I'd take that off the table. And to your question, you know, the most critical piece to me would be a disruption in the credit markets. I don't think that's coming because that put that we would talk about is absolutely still there and will be used as, as if necessary.
1: Colin, one thing you, you mentioned, I want to just reiterate it is, you know, we spend our time thinking about what the Fed will do, not what they should do. And I think that's really important as an investor to forecast what they will do, not what not, not whether you think it's right or wrong. and um, I, I do think that's a, a really interesting point you made about about credit. and again, that Powell put is strong and it, demand for anything that has any kind of return is insatiable. but let, let me let me stop on the return aspect for a moment and maybe you could give us your outlook for for what we can expect from bonds in the next year or so. We're starting from very low yields, tight credit spreads. What's your forecast?
0: Sure. And I, I appreciate that forecast. And here's where I'm going to be a little bit boring for you. I really don't expect much volatility in the, in the interest rate markets over the next year. I think that any investor uh, moving into the market at this point, be it in the risk-free space, the investment-grade space, or the high-yield space, uh, should look at their coupon that they're garnering upon entry and assume that's what they're going to get. Mm-hmm. So my answer to you is, hey, Will we be exactly at 135 on 10-year Treasuries in a year? Maybe or maybe not. But whatever little nuances and corrections there are with respect to either credit, either and or credit spreads and interest rates, I think is going to be marginal enough that an, an investor should see that entry point, say that's what I think I'm going to get, and then move on to other things that are more important decisions.
1: So, Colin, let me ask you one last question. It's a practical one for many of our listeners, and I often get asked this question by clients. What, what's better, owning individual, individual bonds or owning a bond fund? How would you answer that question?
0: Sure, Katie. Well, I would absolutely answer that question that the bond fund is the right path to take. Now, there can be exceptions. If, a, if an investor is liability matching, uh, they might want to own individual bonds. That would make sense. But with respect to bond funds in general, the ability to diversify the portfolio is so great and it's so impactful and so important. And that's how we manage bonds at Northern Trust, Uh, certainly very diversified in the portfolios. And that's with respect to both duration uh, of the bonds that you would buy and also with the credits that you would buy. So there are just a tremendous amount of merits to owning a bond fund versus individual bonds. As I mentioned, there can be some exceptions, but in a general sense, if it was an, a, an overall 50,000-foot question, I would always default to the bond fund.
1: Great, Colin. I'd love to end on a very practical note, and I want to thank you very, very much for sharing your your thoughts with us today. And there are clearly a lot of takeaways. Most importantly is that we continue to believe stuckflation will ultimately pass the test. And it might leave the Fed in a bit of a box related to being able to raise rates on their schedule, perhaps slower. And that feeds into our view that rates will remain low across the yield curve. For portfolios, this means, as you said, Colin, ultimately bond returns On a forward-looking basis for the next year, you can look at your yield to maturity as as your best guess, which is low. Um, I will add, though, that bonds continue to play a very important role in a risk control portfolio, and the value of high-quality core bonds, taxable or muni, is that robust and dependable diversification benefit that you get uh, by adding bonds to an overall risk asset portfolio. So I want to thank you again, Colin, for sharing your insights, and I want to thank everyone for joining us today thank you for listening
0: to our podcast subscribe to market currents from your favorite podcast app to be automatically notified of new episodes this audio podcast is being provided for informational and educational purposes only and is not meant to be taken as investment advice or a recommendation of any specific investment product or strategy the information does not take your financial situation investment objective or risk tolerance into consideration Listeners, including professionals, should under no circumstances rely upon this information as a substitute for their own research or for obtaining specific legal, investment, accounting, or tax advice from their own counsel.